Well, good morning, church family. I want to uh, welcome you today as we've come to worship the Lord together at home. And and uh, uh, I'm looking forward to next week, Lord willing, that we'll be gathered together uh, in person. And uh, Brother Jay was going to be preaching this morning uh, and uh, finishing a short series that he was doing in the book of Judges. But uh, he's going to have to finish that last message another time. And he's recovering at home from COVID. And uh, for him and his family, Brother John as well, has COVID and is at home and recovering. And, and for his whole family, pray for them and lift them. Uh, we're lifting them before the Lord. Amen. And so uh, there are also several other church family uh, uh, have COVID and friends and acquaintances. And we're lifting them before the Lord. Today, I want us to take a, a little bit of time and look at the book of Ruth together. So if you have your Bible, Joshua, Judges, and then the book of Ruth. And so it's in the same time frame of the Judges. Now the Judges is a period, a dark period in the heart and the life of Israel. It's one of the darkest periods in all of the Bible. And you see the the, the, the depravity of man and full display in the book of Judges. The children of Israel give themselves again and again to idolatry and spiritual adultery, and it leads to a forgetting of God and, and, and then a, a denial of him and, and uh, living uh, compromised lives in the world in which they lived and eventually brings oppression upon them and then God raises up these judges and these judges are often very flawed characters as well. The book of Judges is dark and there's great evil and even the judges themselves are messed up and flawed and the book of Judges concludes with this statement there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It was a dark time. And you see the flaws on display and the sin and the oppression. And there were, there's no rule, no law, no light. And then they go, the Bible goes from there to the book of Ruth, which is a beautiful ray of sunshine and hope and mercy and grace and redemption during this same period of Judges. It's a breath of fresh air when you get to the book of Ruth because it's so beautiful, so loving, and so impactful. And so today we want to look at Ruth. It's a book, of gray, a book that really concentrates on our redemption. And it's a book of redemption and rescue and, and romance. And it's, it is a, a, a beautiful book. And so I invite you to open your Bible and look with me to Ruth in chapter number one. Now let me introduce some of the cast of characters that we're going to look at in this great love story that is told in a story of redemption. First there's Naomi. The word Naomi means pleasant. And this Jewish woman is sort of this uh, center and a part of this story as a character. She's married to her husband. His name is Elimelech and they uh, are from Bethlehem in Judea and uh, so uh, in the tribe of Judah. And so uh, they, a famine comes into the land and they move themselves to Moab and uh, their family. God has blessed them with two sons and those two sons move with them and while they're in Moab 
they, uh, Elimelech dies there. And the two sons end up marrying Moabite women. And these two Moabite girls become a part of Naomi's family. But both of her sons die while they're in Moab. And she has now lost her husband and she's lost her sons and her life is empty. She has two daughter-in-laws. Their names are Orpah and Ruth. And they dwell in the land for 10 years. And Naomi hears that there is a blessing taking place again in the land of Israel. And she determines to move back to Bethlehem and away from Moab. And so she uh, uh, heads back, returns to Bethlehem. And she says to both of her daughter-in-laws, you need to stay here where your family is and where your heritage is and where your gods are and your people. And they're following her. And finally, she continues to insist. And Orpah kisses her and loves her, but she returns home to her family. But Ruth says, I will not leave you. And stop asking me to leave you because where you go, I'm going to go. And where you live, I'm going to live. And your people are going to be my people and your God, my God. It is a beautiful story. The second story is the introduction of character. characters in the story is Ruth herself. And Ruth, of course, is Naomi's daughter-in-law. She has lost her husband. She's barren. She can't have any children. She's a Moabitess. And, she, and her families are worshipers of another god called Kamosh. And she leaves everything. Her mom, her dad, her siblings, her people, her culture. And she clings to Naomi, and she's loyal to her, and she commits herself to her. She determines to support her mother-in-law and works on the edges of the fields, gleaning when they return back to Bethlehem from like the peasants do, like the, the poorest of the people do. They glean along the edges where the reapers are to leave some and not take everything so that the poorest of the poor could glean in the fields. The next is in the cast of characters that we meet in this story is a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a noble man. He's a wealthy man. He's a man of stature, a man of status, a landowner who has employees and servants and fields. He's respected and he's successful. He's older. He's not married, no family. A kind man, a successful man. His mother was a prostitute. And she was a part of the fall of Jericho. And, uh, and uh, so his lineage and his heritage is, is marked by that. But he is a wonderful man. So look with me into the book of Ruth today. In chapter number one, beginning with verse number one. It came about in those days... When the judges governed that it was a famine in the land and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons and the name of the man was Elimelech, verse 2, and the name of his wife Naomi and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion and Ephrathites of Bethlehem in Judah and they entered the land of Moab and remained there and then Elimelech Naomi's husband died, and she was left with her two sons. And they took for themselves Moabite women as wives. 
The name of one was Orpah. The name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. And the two women, the, was, the, and the women was bereft of her two children. The woman was Naomi and her husband. Wow. So it's grief upon grief. And so they make their return back to Bethlehem. And in chapter 2, verse number 1, we're told that Naomi returned with Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now God is at work. Watch how sovereign God is working. Now we're introduced to the hope. In chapter number two, beginning with verse number one, now Naomi had a kinsman, a relative, a close relative of her husband, a man of great wealth, of the family of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. We're introduced to this man, Boaz. Notice Ruth the Moabitess says to Naomi, please let me go and glean in the fields during this barley harvest and wheat harvest that's to follow. And help me, and, and may I go, and may I find God's favor as I go. And she's looking for God's kindness. And, and, and it's, the Bible says she just happens to come to the field belonging to Boaz. Well, nothing's just has, it's happening by chance. But God is sovereignly at work. And she's working in the fields all day. And this man Boaz shows up. And when he shows up, he says to his workers and servants that are there in the fields, he says, who is this woman that's working here? And they said, well, that's the Moabite girl. She is with Naomi. And she's accompanied her back here and helping to care for her. And uh, her husband has died. And so Boaz hears the story of Ruth and knows about Naomi. And so she said, they said, she's worked all day long. And she only took a little time in the shelter. And she has just been working all day long. And he goes and he speaks to her. And when he speaks to her, he says, uh, he introduces himself to her. And he says, I want you to glean in my fields. Don't go to other fields. And you work for me, and you work where my workers work, and I will protect you. He told his servants, you watch over her, you protect her. Don't let any harm, don't let any men take advantage of her. And I, I want you to take care of me. When you get thirsty, you drink from our jars. And you come and sit down with us now and have some meal of roasted grain. And he gave her enough for her and take home leftovers to share with Naomi. And before the end of the day, he fills her lap with grain and, and baskets of grain to take home to Naomi. And she says to him, why would you do this to me? I'm just a foreigner in your land. And he said, I've heard about you and your loyalty, and how you left your parents and everything and how you've cared for Naomi. And God will richly reward you. And may God... May God cover you with his wings and take care of you. It's a beautiful thing that is beginning to happen. His care and taking care of Ruth. She returns home to Naomi. And when she returns home to her, she says, where did you glean? And she says, well, I gleaned in a field. 
and it was owned by a man named Boaz. And she said, oh, God has blessed you. And he is a close family kinsman to our family and uh, of uh, my husband and your former husband. Amen. It is a beautiful picture. It's a picture of, of grace. It's a picture of God redemptively beginning to work. And this is the story. And so Naomi says, after this, she's gleaned, that Ruth's gleaned in the harvest field day after day, and Boaz is watching and protecting her, and she's working with the servants, and God is providing for their family. At the end of the barley and the wheat harvest, then Naomi says to her, I want you to do something. I think God's at work here. I want you to clean yourself and wash and wash your hair and put on anointing oil with perfume and put on your finest dress. They'll be down at the threshing floor tonight. Now, when they brought in the harvest in those days, they would thresh the grain. That means that they would beat the stalks until the grain would fall out. And then they would take a winnowing fan or a winnowing fork and they would pitch it into the air and then the wind would blow the chaff away and the grain would settle. And that's the way that they would winnow the, the harvest and take in the grain. It was a great time of celebration because the harvest was full. And she said they'll be celebrating tonight. And they'll be sleeping at the threshing floor tonight, guarding their grain, and they'll be celebrating tonight. And when it gets dark, and after they've eaten and become merry in their hearts, I want you to go in and where he's lying, I want you to find that place. And Ruth, what I want you to do is uncover his feet. Now you can feel the tension, can't you? And that tension is in the scripture. And as his feet are uncovered, I want you to find yourself, lay yourself at his feet. And then he'll tell you what to do. And in the middle of the night, he's aroused, his feet are cold. And all of a sudden, he realizes in that dark threshing floor, nothing but the stars and the moon. He said, Who's at my who is this? And she says, it's Ruth. And he said, what? What are you doing? And he said, she said, Boaz, it's Ruth. And I'm asking you, would you take your robe? And would you cover me with the wings of your robe? What she's saying is, Boaz, will you make me to, to be your wife? She proposes to him. It's an humble thing. It's a risky thing. It's a beautiful thing. And indeed, that's what she does. And he says, I'll do for you whatever you ask. And Boaz is smitten by her and loves her. And he says, you're a woman of, nobility, of, of character and goodness, Ruth. And he says, don't let your reputation be sullied because you're here with me late at night. And before the sun comes up in the morning, he gives her plenty of grain in her lap and he sends it home with her. And that she might leave and looks like she, so it didn't look like she did anything appropriate on the threshing floor. And she returns home to Naomi and she tells her what had happened. Naomi said, it won't be long till he does this thing right. 
He had told her on the threshing floor, there's another redeemer, another kinsman, another one that's closer in bloodline than me. And he has the right of first refusal to redeem the land of Elimelech. And let me take care of this. And so he goes to the city gate. That's like the courtroom where all the elders are gathered. And he has status in the city of Bethlehem, in that region. And he brings the other kinsmen before those judges, the elders. And he says to him, Elimelech's property needs to be redeemed. It's like in foreclosure. And yet it needs to go on to those descendants, but it, will you invest? Will you redeem that land? Will you use that land and that jubilee? Will it be returned back to that family? Will you be the redeemer for that family? He said, I will. He said, then also you need to take the Moabite girl as your wife so that she might have children and that his name might continue to be associated with the land, redeem her, and have children with her. And he said, oh, no, I'm not in for that. That's too much to ask. I won't do it. And Boaz said, then I'm next in line, and I'll buy the land, and I want her to be my wife. And he takes her to be his wife, and the two come together. They conceive they give birth to a boy. And the little baby boy is taken to Naomi as a nanny. And she lays that little boy in her lap. And she's rejoicing. And they're all rejoicing. And they name him Obed. And Obed will have a son named Jesse. And Jesse has a son named David. It is a beautiful story of redemption. I want us to look at this story again in some more detail today and think about it in terms of how God redeems us and he's working for our redemption today. Number one, God redeems us from bitterness and discouragement. And that's one of the truths that we find in this book of Ruth. First of all, Naomi was so bitter and discouraged she had grieved. She had lost everything. Her heart was filled with sorrow upon sorrow. Her dreams were broken. She had experienced famine that had caused them to move to Moab. And there her husband had died. Her sons married Moabite women. And now both of her sons are dead. And all that she has is her daughter-in-law's and when she comes back to Bethlehem, everybody says, it's Naomi. Naomi has returned. Her name means pleasant. She says, don't you call me. Don't call me that anymore. Don't you call me that because God's hand has been against me and God has dealt bitterly with me. She says in verse number 20, 19 and 20 of chapter 1 in Ruth, they went, into, uh, and went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came about that they had come into Bethlehem, that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara. It means bitter. For the Almighty's dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord's brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me. The Almighty, he has afflicted 
me. Do you hear the bitterness in her voice? His hand is against me. He's dealt bitterly with me, against me. My life is bitter. My life is filled with nothing but complaint against God. Do you feel like the Lord's ever let you down in your life? Do you feel bitter in your life? Do you feel like there's been treated unfairly? That your dreams have been broken? It's so easy to let a lens of bitterness develop in your life. And your life fills with complaint. And life fills with disappointment. And deep discouragement comes into your life. God wants to redeem you from that. God is at work even in the hard things. Drew alluded to it a while ago in his prayer. You know what? When things happen, it doesn't happen by chance. God sovereignly is working. Even in the most sorrowful times of your life, sovereign God is working. Paul Tripp writes in a book called Suffering. When discouragement sits in and becomes the lens through which you see life, when it forms your assumptions about your life, and when it begins to shape your functional theology, you tend to complain. Now listen. Chronically discouraged people find more things wrong than right. Now listen. They tend to see more darkness than light, more trouble than mercy, more injustice than justice, more hate than love, more rejection than acceptance. And although you're convinced that you're seeing life accurately, discouragement has distorted your perspective. And your assumptions about life has caused you to see one thing more than another. What's on the lips of your life? What comes out of your mouth? Are they words of negativity and complaint and discouragement? And you're complaining about this circumstance and that circumstance and this economy and this virus. Could it be that you miss out that God's doing these things for a purpose and for our good it's only a small movement when you begin to complain about all the circumstances of life and how they've negatively affected you it's just a short step then from taking that complaint against the circumstances and it's really a complaint against God that he's not wise that he's not good and that he doesn't care for you careful my friend Tripp writes, what's the danger of a lifestyle of complaint? If you believe that God is not in control of the grand move, if you believe that God is not in control of the grand movements of human history, but also in control of the particular details of your life, not only that, but the details of your life as well. If you believe that what is out of your control is under his control, then it's important to understand that there's no such thing as a purely horizontal complaint if I'm complaining about the insensitivity of my physician the lack of attention I'm getting from my pastor or the fact that my friends aren't sympathetic and understanding I'm complaining about other people he says 
you forget that God ordained those people to be in your life, to teach you. And the more comfortable I become with complaint being the normal language of my life, the more likely that the lifestyle of complaint will morph into a direct accusation against God. And when it happens, we've gotten beyond simply saying life stinks. But the complaint takes us further down the road where we say my life stinks because God is not good. This is where Naomi comes. My life's bitter. God is against me. But God was never against Naomi. God was for her and wants to redeem her. Timothy Keller said, when pain and suffering come upon us, we finally see not only that we are not in control of our lives, but that we never were. He's in control. You see, God was working in Naomi, but she couldn't see it. But the question for you today is, can you, will you trust him even in the sorrows and the disappointments of your life? He's working for your good. The Bible tells us in Romans 8 that God works all things together for good for those who love him and those that are called according to his purpose. God began a good work in you. will bring it to completion. God is for you and not against you. And he's working in you and he can teach us through the hardest times of your life. Amen. Do you believe that? Huh. Secondly, God redeems us from hopelessness. Well, here's Ruth. And seemingly hopeless. In chapter number 2, verse number 11, Boaz says to her, all, he says, I've heard all that you've done for your mother-in-law and the death of your husband has been reported to me and how you left your father and mother in the land of your birth and came to the people that you did not previously know. He says, I know what you've done, Ruth. He says, I know that it seems hopeless, right? She had lost everything. She lost her husband. She left her family. She left her inheritance with her family there. She left whatever prospect of marrying another Moabite man, maybe so that she had a place there. But no, she lost all of that. She left everything. She no longer wants to worship the idol of Kamosh, which was the god of the Moabites. But instead, she saw something, even in Naomi. Here's the thing that Naomi didn't realize. Even in her bitterness, Naomi didn't realize the impact that she had on Ruth. Ruth saw in Naomi a God that was real in her life. She saw something. She says, I want to go where you go. I'm going to live where you live. And I want, I want your people to be my people. And, and I want your God to be my God. That's my covenant to you. You see, God was redeeming. He's redeeming this girl named Ruth from hopelessness. She had left everything. In chapter number three, verse number eight, it says, 
Notice this story on the threshing floor. And it happened in the middle of the night that the man was startled. And he bent forward. And behold, a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maid. Spread your covering over your maid. For you are a close relative. Will you redeem me? Will you cover me? Will you show your favor and your kindness to me? Boaz had said to Ruth when he first encountered her, he said, may the Lord cover you with his wings. May the Lord graciously bless you. And now she said, would you grace me? Will you bless me? Will you redeem me? It's a beautiful proposal to him. And notice in verse number 10, may you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter, for you've shown your last kindness to be better than your first by not going after young men, whether rich or poor. He said, you didn't choose me because I'm wealthy and you didn't try to choose me because I'm younger, I'm older. But now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask for all my people in the city know that you're a woman of excellence, of purity, of character. I want to redeem you. In chapter number four, indeed he does. In verse number 10, he says, I've acquired Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Melon, to be my wife in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance so that the name of the deceased may not be cut off from his brothers or from the court of his birthplace. You are witnesses today. And in verse number 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. He takes a hopeless situation. She had nothing. She had no inheritance. She took her to a foreign land, to people that were not her people, to a place that worshiped different, lived different. She had no inheritance, no prospects. And God was working to redeem a Moabitess named Ruth. God's redeeming you. Maybe your life seems hopeless. Maybe it seems helpless. Maybe you feel like you have no hope or inheritance in the world, but that's why Jesus Christ came. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order that he might redeem those under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you're sons, he sent forth his spirit into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son, and of a son, an heir through God. God made Ruth to have an inheritance by his grace. Isn't that glorious? Amen. And that's exactly what God wants to do in your life. Amen. Number three, notice God redeems us from a life that has no purpose or meaning purposelessness and you know what we can live our life without any meaning or purpose and 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 here's Boaz he's a man of wealth he's a man of prestige he has a place in the city gate he has property 
And yet this older man, he has no family. He's wealthy, but he has no inheritors. He's, he, he's successful, but he's empty. He has status, but there's no meaning. And God does a work in him. And when he invests his life in redeeming Ruth, in giving of his life, and risking of his resources to buy the property of Elimelech and to make this Moabite girl to be his wife, as he pledges himself to her and redeems her and invests in her, he loses his life, but he gains life. And he is redeemed from a life that's empty. He serves the poor and the outcast and a Moabite girl. Not a Jewish girl, a Moabite girl. And he makes her to be his wife. Or how are you using your life? Listen, life is not about you gathering all the toys in this life. It's not about your wealth and your status. God's put you in this life for a purpose. And that purpose is to live redemptively. To experience the grace of God and to give the grace of God. And to love and care and invest in the broken and the hurting. And when we do, that's when we will find life. Right here in our lives. There's brokenness all around us. And we're going through a hard time in this country right now. There's a pandemic that's affected people. It's affected income and it's affected families. We have families that are in stress, marriage that are distressed. We're going through a hard time and we're going through a hard time politically in this country. You've got to be underneath a rock not to know what's going on. And it is so polarized, everybody. Everybody's taking up sides, one against another, evaluating each other. And on the battleground of this country politically, there are people wounded all over and hurt. And it's time for the church of Jesus Christ not to take sides, but to go to the broken and pour our lives into them. I'm telling you what, the church of Jesus Christ, when we look on this battlefield of those who are bloodied and broken by the political infighting that's gone on in this world, and those who think about the uncertainty of life and those whose dreams are shattered, why don't we, as a church of Jesus Christ, minister grace to those that are hurting? And I'll tell you, we won't minister grace well if we're looking at what kind of uniform they're wearing before we go to them. And I don't care which uniform they're wearing. If they're bloodied and injured, God loves them. Let's go to them with the grace of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Amen? Amen. Never had a time like this. Now is the time God has opened a door for us as a church to love people and share the good news of Jesus Christ. Let's not go to sleep. And Boaz didn't look at her and says, I can't do that. You're a Moabite. No. He knew God sovereignly was going to use him to do grace in her life. Wow. And when he gave, he found life. I'll tell you what to revitalize the church. 
is when we get about the business that God's called us to do. That's when revival will begin to happen. Revival doesn't happen in Washington, D.C., and it doesn't happen in Springfield, and it doesn't happen on the Supreme Court, and it doesn't happen with laws. Revival begins when the church of Jesus does what God has called us to do. Amen. And next thing I want you to notice in this great story is God is working in ways that we cannot see. He's working in ways beyond our comprehension. In this beautiful story, in that city gate, Boaz says, I'll take her to be my wife. And they said, blessed are you, Boaz. May God bless you wonderfully. And then they quote something from the Old Testament. And they say, may, may God bless you in a, and and and." And this Moabite woman, may he bless you. And, and when they were in the court, he says, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah. These were the wives uh, of Jacob, both of whom built the house of Israel. The 12 tribes came from these two women. And may you achieve the wealth in Ephra that became famous in Bethlehem. And moreover, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, through the offspring which the Lord will give you by this young woman. I think it's very interesting that they remember Perez and Tamar and Judah. Because Judah, through Judah and Tamar, came the lineage of David. He says, may God do something awesome in you. And Boaz took her. And he lay with her. And she conceived. She could never conceive before. God opened her womb. And Boaz had never had a child before. And he becomes a father. And God was working. But notice in verse number 18... Now these are the generations of Perez. To Perez, Perez was born Hezron. To Hezron was born Ram, and to Ram Amenadab, and Amenadab was born Nashon, and Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and Boaz, Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David. They were faithful, Boaz was faithful, and Ruth, and Naomi, in their season. And in that faithfulness, God was doing something beyond their comprehension. Because born to that wedding of that Moabite girl and Boaz was a little boy. And they took that little boy and they laid him in the lap of Naomi. And Naomi was so happy. She's got her little grandson in her lap. And all the women are rejoicing and saying, hey, Naomi now has a child. It was her grandson. And they all together said, we're going to call him Obed, which is short for Obadiah. Because God has blessed us. And I don't know that Boaz lived long enough. He was older. 
or Ruth, I don't know. But he grows up and he has a son. And that son's name was Jesse. I know they didn't long, live long enough to watch Jesse grow up and have children. But Jesse's youngest son was just a, the runt of the litter, the last born. And his name was David, a man after God's own heart, a shepherd boy. And he becomes the greatest king of Israel. And God says to David in a covenant, there will never be, there will never be a king that doesn't sit on the throne that's not from your lineage. And I promise you this, the anointed one and the Messiah will come through your line. And Matthew's gospel tells us the story of the lineage of the Messiah. And they never knew it in their life. They never saw it. But their faithfulness in their generation was working great works of redemption in further generations. When you're faithful to God today, now listen to me. In your family, in your marriage, in your home, with your children in this time and when you invest in redemption of others and sharing the gospel today you can't see what the results are going to be until the generations following but you will someday I'm telling you God is at work in redeeming and changing and he wants to use you and he wants to use me amen Matthew's gospel, chapter number one, it says in verse number three, and to Judah were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Who's Tamar? Tamar's a Canaanite woman. It's an incestuous thing. She tricks Judah and Judah and her have a child called Perez. And then Perez was born Hezron, and Hezron Ram, and Ram Aminadab, and Aminadab Nashon, and to Nashon Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz, by whom? Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, by Rahab. Who's Rahab? A harlot, a Canaanite woman in Jericho. And to Jericho, to this harlot from Jericho, is born a man named Boaz. And Boaz marries Ruth and has Obed. And from Obed, Jesse. From Jesse, David, who was king. And to King David, Solomon. By whom? Uriah the Hittite's wife. Bathsheba. Women, scandal, Moabites, Canaanites, Hittites. That's because God was preparing a Messiah for all people through Jesus Christ. And notice in verse number 17, verse number 15, and to Eluad, Eluad was born Eliezer and the Eliezer, Mathan, and from Mathan, Jacob, and Jacob was born Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom was born Jesus called Messiah, the Christ. 
In the book of Jeremiah, in chapter number 48, there's the indictment that Jeremiah, the prophet, brings against Moabite, the Moabites. And he says concerning the land of Moab, may you be utterly destroyed. And indeed, the Moabite kingdom is destroyed. And may every village be destroyed and may the people be ransacked and scattered. And may God's judgment fall upon the Moabites. But then he says at the end of that chapter, verse number 47. But he said, but God will restore the fortunes of the Moabites. God uses a Moabite woman to bring the Savior of the world so that Moabites and Hittites and Canaanites and Israelites and Americanites can come to the foot of the cross and find redemption through Jesus Christ. Amen. God is sovereignly working. Let's walk and live in that redemption. Let's live as people of the gospel and let's take the good news to a broken world that God is sovereign, he's in control, and he's working in our lives for our good and his glory. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, may you have your way in our hearts and in our lives today. Thank you for this great and awesome story recorded for us in this beautiful love story of Ruth and how it's a great picture of grace and redemption for all of us. In Jesus' name, amen.